0: Welcome back to You Know What I've Been Wondering. I'm Sarah. I'm Jane. We're sorry there wasn't an episode last week. There was sort of a major political event going on <laughs> in America,
1: and we were nervous. But now, <laughs> we're still we're nervous, nervous, but less
0: nervous.
1: <laughs> yeah, but the big scariest thing of last week ended well.
0: It did. It did. Yeah. It did. So It,
1: it didn't go perfectly, but well, the it was big go- scary thing.
0: It went it went as well as it was going to, considering it's not like we could. It's not like there was a chance that we were going to write
1: in Bernie and he was going to win, you know. Oh yeah, I'm just talking about how like, like yes, the Biden Biden won the presidency, but um, like in Maine, Susan Collins somehow held on to her seat. I can't believe that happened. I really thought like I'm so confused because I know so like I don't know that many people that are huge Sarah Gideon stands. But I know so many people that hate Susan Collins on both sides of the aisle. I think aisle. it's
0: because um, I volunteered at the polls in New York as an mm-hmm. observer. And I was talking to a woman who was volunteering with the Max Roses campaign. And he's running for Congress in my district of New York. And I said to her, do you think he has a good chance? And she said, I did. But then the RNC decided to put a bunch of money into... like into, um, like slanderous ads for races that were really close and that included max rose and i'm sure and i know that included the susan collins sarah gideon yeah race there were so a lot of yeah i think it's because yeah. the rnc spent so much money on ads and max rose i'm pretty sure is going to lose his his seat and he was the incumbent mm. um and he's a democrat and he's probably going to lose to the Republican opponent in our area, which is mm-hmm. crazy. Um, because they have they have projected him to win by a landslide when these ads happened. So I bet it's something similar.
1: There were a lot of attack ads.
0: I saw attack ads in Pennsylvania for Sarah Gideon. I was like, why is this on here? Weird. <laughs> but it was on like like Northeast news stations, you know. Yeah. Apparently it's so a lot of my coworkers were saying you couldn't watch cable TV. Because every single ad was a political ad, which I don't have cable, yeah. so didn't apply. But I believe it. I definitely believe it.
1: For me, it's on YouTube. All of my YouTube ads were attack ads. I would literally really? because on both sides of the aisle, it would be like Susan Collins is terrible, Sarah Gideon's terrible. Like right. After I never the other. saw
0: any on YouTube or Hulu either. But
1: hmm.
0: I'm. I'm I'm nervous but optimistic about the next four years beginning in January so that's a good place to be
1: yeah comparatively comparatively
0: yeah you know
1: and ultimately there's like I mean this is such a low bar but just knowing that the person in office is like a person who can at least come across as a basically decent human right Is such a like Right. And, and like and I know Joe Biden's record isn't perfect, but there's so many things about him that make him seem like such a nice guy.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't agree with all of Kamala Harris's political opinions, and I, and I acknowledge that there are um, problematic things that she has stood for in the past, but it's still so very exciting that we're going to have a Black South asian female vice president like that's still amazing that's still an accomplishment in itself and i think it sends such a powerful message to women who want to go into politics or who are in politics you know i do think i do think that shows um a great deal of you know change also like there were other really cool things that happened in this election like i read today on twitter that every single contested seat um the person who was running for congress that stood for medicare for all or in all the ones that were in all the states where seats flipped the candidate that won stood for medicare for all and like what does that say about our country and like what our country wants you know like it's clear Mm -hmm. through the results of this election that there are people who want like real legitimate change um Mm -hmm. and and i do think that that's a positive in itself Mm -hmm. that people are voting that there was a huge wave of people who voted not only in their best interest but in the interest of their community and were able to flip seats and elect candidates who want better things for their community and i I appreciate that you know
1: Mm -hmm.
0: so that's a victory in itself as well yeah and if nothing else maybe biden will have a comprehensive covid relief
1: plan oh my gosh i like almost started crying during his speech because he literally just mentioned that he wanted to i don't even remember what he said but just something along the lines of he wanted to work to get rid of the pandemic right it was like oh my gosh having a president that that's the goal like
0: <laughs> well on his on his transition website already he's put up a list of um scientists and doctors who he has on a task force to address the pandemic and i'm like wow like you know 10 months into the pandemic someone's finally gonna be like hey we should probably start to fix this and like what we yeah i also like i did feel really good at school today because so many kids like expressed how happy they were and I there were two kids who got picked up late today and they were two kids who had done after school with me and I was standing there and I was talking to them and I was like do you miss after school and I wasn't even trying to be to, like tell me that you miss me like I was like no like what do you do after school now like do you miss that and one of them was like yeah I really miss it like I miss acting and I miss just like hanging out and like doing extracurriculars he was like I only get to do like baseball on the weekends and I'm not on a team like i just go to like a batting range with a friend and i was like yeah that's really different and the on the other girl i was with said the same thing she was like i really miss acting and i miss having snack with everybody and i was like me too like i got really emotional but they both were like but i really hope that like when biden becomes president that like he'll be able to fix this so that we can have after school again and i was like me too <laughs> it was really cute
1: biden should have put that on his platform i will bring back after school I will
0: bring back after school honestly so many parents probably would have been like have you seen that meme that's like biden it's a stance and then it's like he gets all 538 electoral votes or something like that it's like a- <laughs> and one of them was like biden i will take down Lynn manuel miranda 538 you have been like i will bring back after school 538 electoral votes <laughs> so funny so funny things
1: we can all agree on
0: it's true it's true we stand after school in this country anyway should we get started is there anything else you want to share
1: i don't think so i think i'm ready to dive on into it or should i say sail on into
0: it oh my god i I hate that (laughs) but you have your rights and i'm gonna
1: let you keep them Well, I will say my first bullet point is, arg, matey.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I'm already so upset.
1: (laughs) I didn't know I could be this upset. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Google defines the word pirate as a person who attacks and robs ships at sea. But the term pirate is really sort of an umbrella term that has no clear-cut um, definition. It mean, it can mean a couple different things uh-huh. depending on who is using the term. And I'll explain that in a bit. So a big thanks to the YouTube channel It's History because oh. they were very um, informative and I got most of my information from there. Cool. Um, so, a majority of the fictional pirates that we know from pop culture are heavily based on real people who existed in what is referred to as the golden age of piracy. Okay. I'm oh, sorry, I thought you were about to say something. No. Pirates of the Caribbean isn't just set there because it's tropical and pretty and like a nice locale for a movie. It's also a site of important historical significance for both piracy and the national politics of the early modern period. Now, when I say piracy, I'm not talking about, you know, like copy and DVDs. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, this is the region, it's near the Gulf of Mexico uh, in Central America. And it includes the Caribbean Sea, located off the Atlantic Ocean, and it is home to more than 700 islands. Okay. Now, in 1492, Columbus did indeed sail the ocean blue, but not to America. He did not land in North America. No, he did not. (laughs) rather he arrived at the island of hispaniola which is the second largest island in the caribbean and it's the island that is now haiti and the dominican republic oh okay Mm -hmm. when columbus returned to europe there was a huge dispute over which islands in the caribbean quote unquote belonged to which european empire and Mm. the islands were divided between the portuguese and the spanish empire with the spanish holding most of it um the treaty of tordesillas which in the youtube video i watched they pronounced tordesillas so which really made me think of book smart when the guys like barcelona <laughs> uh, <laughs> um but in the treaty of tordesillas or tordesillas maybe that's the actual pronunciation that i should probably be following um A majority of the islands were given to Spain officially, creating a Spanish monopoly on the region, which lasted for more than 100 years. Mm -hmm. And the Spanish would even punish any trespassers on, quote unquote, their lands. Again, these are stolen lands that Spain stole from the natives. People, Let's keep that in mind throughout all of this. The British, the Dutch, and the French saw the Spanish obtaining enormous riches from the Caribbean and didn't think it was fair that Spain was hoarding all that wealth. Stolen wealth. <clears throat> uh, so between 1520 and 1550, um, Spain's transatlantic trade became the target for what is known as privateers from France and then 1550 to 1600 england as well okay english privateers were known as sea dogs which is the uh, mascot of the minor league baseball team in maine uh, that oh (laughs) the team that feeds into the red Sox. so a now it's kind of fun to see that all the sea dogs is also like an animal so i i don't know which one they were going for but um yes Yep. Yeah. Anyway, so the Sea Dogs, the English privateers, and the Dutch privateers were targeting Spanish ships. So basically, these privateers were pirate. They weren't pirates yet, but they were groups of guys that would just attack ships coming back from Spain with okay. like gold and money and riches and rob them. Of that gold. Now, remember, the Spanish stole it first. <laughs> <laughs> they did. Spain didn't come across it legally either. Anyway, no, they didn't. So, not. for the Spanish, who were the ones being robbed, they said that all foreign ships that worked to steal acquired gold and other goods were considered sea robbers and thus pirates. Um, but it was mostly the case that these sea robbers uh, who originally claimed no country of allegiance were actually given a license by other competing countries to go on attacking the Spanish. This practice is known as privateering. So piracy mm. basically means you're stealing for stealing sake and there's no legal reason for you to be allowed to do that. Right. But privateering means you were hired by a government to go and steal from people. Okay. So the Spanish considered these men pirates, but the people can they consider themselves privateers. Right. Privateering is state-sponsored piracy. So technically um, p- I said this now in like four different ways piracy is really robbing with legal authority to do so. The privateers were attacking the Spanish. The most famous privateer/pirate, we'll call them privateers I guess, was Sir Francis Drake. Uh, Sir Francis Drake is considered to be a hero for the English and a evil pirate to the Spanish. Nice. Mm -hmm. Um, Then the Dutch also began to attack the Spanish, and they were actually able to take control of some of the Caribbean around the turn of the 17th century. Mm -hmm. Um, If not, I think maybe actually all of the Caribbean. During this time, a group of, quote, rough and fearless outlaws began to form stronger groups around western parts of hispaniola these groups consisted of shipwrecked sailors deserters slaves and runaways from whatever european country was sailing at the time Mm -hmm. Um, but whatever way they came to this life it should be noted that wherever they came from they specifically made the choice to remain in a rough lifestyle with cruel conditions and sometimes violence was included and you know it's not easy living at sea in the 1700s no um, definitely not this was a purple purposeful a purple choice It was a purposeful choice that they made instead of living in quote-unquote law and order and civilized society back in europe right. so this is mostly to imply that these people knew they weren't Going to be treated well or fairly, and that this was a better life for them. Okay, which really just says how bad things were in Europe at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, these communities were called buccaneers, and they wow. were growing very large as people who were down on their luck in Europe saw this as a preferable alternative. Um, like, okay, no one's treating me well in. Europe, and I just, like, can't get my life together, I'll go be a buccaneer. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I wish I had that as an option at the moment. Yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, The Spanish began worrying that these groups attacking them um, were, you know, becoming a threat, so they tried to destroy them by cutting off their food supply, (laughs) but this method just really backfired on them because now that they didn't have food coming to them from Europe. They had no choice but to rob the Spanish to survive. Uh, and they also began inhabiting a bunch of islands. Um, so they were really kind of establishing a presence and um, had to do what they were doing in order to survive. Um, right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, So the rate of Spanish ships getting attacked by buccaneers was going up. By 1650, the term buccaneer became synonymous with sea raider, and the buccaneers would eventually begin to get hired again as privateers for the English and the French, um, and sometimes the Spanish. So they were literally just like, for hire. I see. (laughs) Yeah, privateers for hire. Uh, they would just go wherever they were paid to. Um, shortly after this, under the leadership of Oliver Cromwell, the English took over Jamaica and many British people began immigrating to the island while a lot of French people were taking up residence in Tortuga and Hispaniola. Which makes sense because I'm pretty sure French is, like, if not the primary language of Haiti, a one of the top ones.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's yeah. the it's their primary language.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So now that the English and the French had a more permanent and larger presence in the Caribbean, buccaneering moved from being a small operation of less than a dozen men at a time to massive crews, which could sometimes number more than a hundred sailors. And they were turning into this almost military force that um, was gaining international fame back in England and France. They were like the, the famous swashbucklers across the sea who were fighting the Spanish or Uh, Well, in in that case, the Spanish. Um, Mm -hmm. The countries that were controlling the Buccaneers were happy because um, they were using them to force their way into markets in the Caribbean that prior to this, only Spain had access to. Okay. Um, But they also were kind of forcing Spain to recognize the legitimacy of their presence in the area. Okay. But... In the 1670s, there were a couple of uh, big treaties. There was the Treaty of Hag, uh which was signed by the Dutch in 1673. And then there was the tra- Treaty of um, Rijsvik. Um, which was signed in 1697 by the French. And these treaties kind of officially divided up the Caribbean territories. And I keep going back and forth in my head between Caribbean and Caribbean, but it doesn't matter. Uh, (laughs) Whatever rolls off the tongue, you know? Yeah, whatever fits Um, in that sentence. Yeah. Um, They divided up these territories in an official agreement. So the colonies that were... You know, inhabited by each of the European countries were more officially recognized, okay. and there was less of a need for buccaneers or privateers. So this made official buccaneering and privateering um, far less necessary, and the practice began to fade out of existence, and and it really technically died by the turn of the 18th century. Okay. A th- in an official capacity. Now, mm. the buccaneers who relied on the practice for their livelihood but no longer had governments paying them to do what they were doing, um, they began resorting to robbing for their own benefit. Um, mm. They targeted all ships, no matter what country they belonged to, and this is these people were flat-out pirates. Like, this is what we think of when we think of piracy. Just these guys who were un- weren't under control of anybody. They were just out to survive and live at sea and gain wealth.
0: I respect that. Yeah. <laughs> I respect their piracy. <laughs> Hardcore.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, beforehand, these guys sort of lived in a gray area because they were doing immoral things, but they were doing it because they were hired to and they were paid to by european governments um and they sort of belonged to a home country like they had an allegiance to whatever country was controlling them but now they were flat out considered outlaws of every nation in the world which oh. you know i think is, is kind of cool um and <laughs> they're they, wanted nowhere <laughs> they wanted nowhere um and, and they were just like criminals at sea um <laughs> In the 1700s, those who identified as pirates began sailing under the Jolly Roger flag. So the Skull and Crossbones flag is a real flag. I did know that that
0: was a real thing.
1: I thought that was just a movie thing, but it's not. Um, These groups decided to embrace the term pirate rather than deny it. In the past, they didn't want to be called pirates because if you were accused of piracy, um and you were caught, like, that was illegal, and you could get the death penalty, but now it was, like, sort of a, like, a band of brothers you could belong to, Mm -hmm. and they were proud of it. From 1701 to 1713, um, the War of Spanish Succession, the war of spanish succession was coming around oh i want to learn more about that i'm gonna add that to the list i just love history like any
0: any major historical event you mention, i'm like let's talk about it because i just find it all (laughs) so fascinating i love when the europeans fight with each other
1: yeah well there's there's one person on this list that i I wish i had had more time to go back to and um work on i was like i'll add her to the list anyway oh is it the Um, pirate yeah yeah (laughs) they talked about her on um puppet
0: history not puppet history um um the buzzfeed show ruining history ruining history yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they talked about her
1: um so anyway it was
0: puppet history it was a shame no i don't
1: think it was but it's definitely a shame
0: yeah it's definitely a shame Mm -hmm. anything
1: um yes so so that was a 12-year period um that, once again, there was a need for privateers. So, for this 12-year period, even though the pirates were all like, we're pirates now. They were literally like, oh, but do you want us to be privateers for money real quick? Uh, okay. <laughs> like, we're around if you want to pay us to attack some people. Um, I, so, they did I that. I guess I
0: respect it.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, they were doing it anyway, so they might as well get paid for it. Um <laughs> In 1703, 53,000 men enlisted in the Navy to fight in the War of Spanish Succession, and by 1750, the war had killed so many of them that the group had dwindled down to about a quarter of its size. So mm-hmm. that's, like, a little more than 15,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, when the war ended, there were suddenly hundreds of, me- of out-of-work men in the Caribbean who decided they should join pirate crews, since they were oh. there anyway. and um, so
0: (laughs) so it was a crime of um convenience
1: yeah kind of so the pirates grew in number a lot after that um at this time bearing this guy named woods rogers who was a former pirate and he was made the governor of the bahamas now it's unknown to me if his given name is Rogers or if that was like his pirate name because, you know, he sailed into the Jolly Roger. I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, his name is Woods Rogers and he offered this deal to pirates. Um, he said that they could choose to renounce their pirate ways and help him build a lawful colony in exchange for a pardon of all crimes Or they could face eradication. In other words, he was like, I could kill you. I could give you the death penalty for piracy. Or you could be like, I promise to no longer be a pirate and help me build a colony. Um, Some pirates accepted this offer, but a lot did not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I Honestly, I wouldn't take it either. You know what? I get it. (laughs) Uh, And they decided to just outright reject any British authority and all of its laws. But this meant that they no longer enjoyed the protection of the European governments in the Caribbean, which they were briefly getting again during the war. Um, so many of them sailed to the Indian Ocean to raid slave posts along the coast of Africa. i um, really hoping they raided the ships on the way to Africa to prevent the kidnapping, but I don't know the details. Because of this, the route from the Caribbean to the Indian Ocean became known as the Pirate Round. Oh. And, yeah. And this time is considered the strongest period of piracy, and that is why it is called the Golden Age of Piracy. Okay. Real pirates who existed during this time were Blackbeard, uh, mm -hmm. Bartholomew Roberts, and Anne Bonnie. And Anne Bonnie's the one that I want to learn about.
0: Oh, I I think they talked about a different one. I don't remember her name being Anne.
1: Oh. Uh, it is estimated that by 1720, there were roughly 2,000 pirates sailing the seas of the Caribbean and North America. Oh, the that's a lot. And I know, it's more than I thought. The end yeah. of the golden age of piracy is marked by the death of Bartholomew Roberts and the execution of most of his crew. Between 1720 and 1736, the remaining pirates that were out there on the sea uh, mostly acted out of survival rather than the collection of riches and Mm -hmm. um the golden age was really considered over at this point because um the pirates were really fighting a losing war and their tactics were becoming more and more desperate for survival so as before they were kind of seen as this outlaw band of brothers trying to amass riches now they were becoming increasingly violent um previously the crews were made up of men and a a very small amount of women who chose the lifestyle, but now they were more and more being made up of laborers who were captured and forced into it. Okay. Um, around this time there were five or 600 pirate hangings. Plus in the past, the government had sort of seen them as groups that they could hire if they needed to, but now they were just simply considered criminals at sea who were kidnapping and murdering people and, um, probably other horrible things um so they were trying to punish as many as they could and there was a big increased crackdown on piracy um okay so that was really the end of that time but fast forward um novels such as treasure island by rl stevenson and then peter pan by j m barry and others were based heavily on the pirates from the golden age and Uh, They created sort of a a genre that brought, you know, the swashbuckling guys into pop culture and made them icons that are enjoyed by many to this day. Mm -hmm. And it should be noted that the most successful pirates, the ones who, I don't know, gained the most riches, were murdering pathological monsters, but I don't think that's what people think of when they're like, I'm going to be a pirate for Halloween. Like, they're not Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to be, like, a murderer and a rapist and, like, a person who's literally out for, like, will, like, kill people to get money. No, like, they're thinking of, like, the more nostalgic idea of, like, the brothers at sea who are fighting against the status quo and um, choosing a more... I don't know exactly what Rapscallion means, but... (laughs) A more fun lifestyle than yes. whatever was going on in Europe. A
0: swashbuckling lifestyle. A
1: swashbuckling lifestyle. You know, you gotta swash the buckles.
0: You, or buckle, t- the
1: sw- <laughs> yes, you know, buckle the swashes. Yes, you buckle the swatches because you are a swashbuckler. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't like it, but you're right.
1: <laughs> I was glad to read this because, in my opinion, prior to looking into this, um, uh-huh. I had a very negative opinion of pirates. Uh, I still don't think they're you, great guys. You didn't like Pirates of the Caribbean. And honestly, like I don't know. Like I'll watch the first one and have a good time, but I never really got the hype. I only really went to the sequels because my brothers. I'm sorry. Me there. Do
0: you not understand fun? <laughs> like, is fun foreign to you? Just Have like, you never felt joy? I just—they're a and <laughs> good
1: time. I just didn't find Jack Sparrow to be an enjoyable character. Um, it's
0: not Jack Sparrow that makes it fun. It's all of them. It's
1: hilarious. First of all, it's hilarious. Second of all, <laughs> the sword fighting—like what? <laughs> it's amazing. Just didn't at the time. It just didn't interest me. I feel like maybe if I watched it now, I might enjoy it more. But they were a riotous as good time. I've I've caught flack for this before my friend from college Julie used to get so mad at me because she'd be like I love Pirates of the Caribbean and be like "Eh." and she'd be like how dare you literally how dare you I'm on Julie's side I don't know I I don't know I just didn't and I was like kind of of the opinion that um we were like misrepresenting the idea of piracy and it's like anytime someone was dressing up as one is like okay so the idea is just that it's a person who is like a thief and in many cases is known to be like rapists and uh, like not great people and like that's what you want to be for halloween i just like didn't really get the concept but doing this research kind of solidified it a little bit more in my mind that like yes it eventually became that but in its like initial conception the idea of buccaneering was more so like getting away from the country that you, that like w- systematically wasn't built for you to succeed and yes. choosing a lifestyle where you could um, yes i do yeah. get
0: i do get your initial um mm-hmm reservations about it, and that that's totally valid. I will say that uh, I thoroughly enjoy that the enemy in parts of the Caribbean is
1: colonialism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very anti-colonial. Would, which, again, like, kind of the, the same sort of thing here. Like, the enemy is the Spanish who are colonizing the, uh, the Caribbean, but right. the main issue is that it's not being done by people who want to stop colonization because of colonization being bad they want to stop the spanish colonization so that the english and the french and the dutch can colonize the caribbean instead right 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 all right should we move on to the middle segment
0: sure so i'm going to talk about um georgia's runoff election and why it's (gasps) happening So if you didn't know, the Georgia is now having to have a runoff election for their two Senate seats because neither of the senators that ran or none of the senators that ran got a 50% fifty percent of the vote, which is required in order for them to have won the election. I believe this is because there were so many write-ins and things like that and like third-party candidates. So now most of the... Senate seats have been called, and currently the Senate seats should nothing change, which it doesn't look like they will, sit at 48-48. And it's really, really important for the Democrats to take the House, because if the Democrats don't take the House, Joe Biden will be extremely limited in the things that he can do. Um, Mm -hmm. And it will be the first time since, I think, the 80s that a president has not entered with the House- the Senate, and um, the White House all in their party. Mm. So it's super important. So Georgia is now having to have this runoff election so that um, they can decide the Senate seats there. And it's a really big deal because essentially it's going to decide who's control of the Senate because if they both win, that'll make the Senate 50-50 and Kamala Harris as the sitting, she's the the president of the Senate, as the vice president of the United States, would be the deciding vote. Um, Which is super important so mm-hmm. um this is like what the election there looks like for senators um the first race is between john ossoff and david purdue david purdue is the incumbent um on november 3rd purdue brought in 90 90- 49.7% of the vote so he was almost a 50 but not quite and Asaf brought in 47.9 um Ossoff had a lot of momentum going into the election um and Purdue had the advantage of being an incumbent um but following the turning of Georgia blue there's a lot of motivation to uh you know they it kind of seemed impossible that a, Senate, a a democrat senator could be elected in Georgia now it doesn't seem so impossible there if you are 18 before January 5th you can now register so there's hopefully going to be more young voters which is super exciting um and to win in January essentially Ossoff is going to have to leverage that enthusiasm that allow the state to turn blue and keep going with that momentum um and also hope that Purdue support has kind of been buoyed by Trump's loss um and so those people who will be like bitter and disappointed may stay home in January Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, they are going to have three debates between now and then, um, or at least Ossoff wants to have a debate, but Purdue has denied the debate. But um, they're hoping that they'll have at least one or two before then, um, and they both seem very confident. So that's the first. That's the first one. Um, the other race is between Reverend Raphael Warnock and Kelly Loeffler. Uh, Loeffler. Um, was an appointed senator um, after Senator Johnny Isakson um, retired in 2019, but she has to be specially elected in order to Um, Actually, to uh, to actually hold on to the seat for the remainder of his term, which was up in 2022. So the governor specially appointed her, and in a lot of cases, when the governor specially appoints a person, no one runs against them. But another Republican and a Democrat ran against her, and none of them got the majority of the vote. So now her and Warnock are going to have an election for this like special appointment. Both Representative Doug Collins and Senator Kelly Loeffler were running in the special election race and Collins lost. So essentially the Democratic, the Republican vote was split between Loeffler and Collins. But now that vote will not be split between those two which means that Loeffler is suspected to get like a a much higher percentage of the votes which means that warnock is not is not as likely to win as osler is is ossoff is yeah it's ossoff because his slogan is we'll work our ossoff to (laughs) (laughs) it's very funny So if Warnock is elected, he would still have... No matter who's elected, that seat is going to be vacated in 2022, whereas the other seat won't be vacated until 2026. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. That's the issue. Um, And that's why, like, runoffs are, are more rare, because often if there's... It's, like, it's rare for a senator to retire in the middle of their term anyway, but often... If they retire and the governor especially appoints somebody no one runs against them Mm -hmm. so that was it was unexpected that not one but two people would run against lofler so anyway that's how georgians are that's what georgians are going to be doing in january it's super important and georgians must be registered to vote by december 7th but once again if you are born before january 5th you'll be 18 before then you can register to vote. So, if your birthday is in between the 7th of December and the 5th of January and you're going to be 18, you can still register to vote. Um, and they're still doing absentee. What are those, that-
1: Scorpios?
0: No. Scorpio
1: season's over now.
0: Or, we're, like, at the tail end of Scorpio season. That's, um... So, what are
1: they, Capricorns? No. They're
0: ca- yes, they're Capricorns going in. Yeah, they're all Capricorns. Maybe a couple okay. of Sagittariuses. No, they're Sagittariuses not- and
1: Capricorns. Okay. I know my brother's a Capricorn, and he's on the 6th of January, so. Yes, so,
0: mm-hmm. the, he, yeah, but the, the beginning of December is Sagittarius. <laughs> anyway. anyway. Not really
1: relevant, but sidetrack.
0: Now, we're going to talk about dreams, um, and I don't mean dreams as in what you want to do when you grow up, which I know is a stressful question. I mean the dreams that you have when you sleep.
1: <laughs> which um, I know is a stressful question.
0: You hate that question. You're constantly I like, do. how dare you ask me that? <laughs> You get so upset. You're like, I don't know.
1: (laughs) And then you just like shut down. So I'm not going to ask you I think it's mostly because like I did, like I had a dream and then my dream got kind of crushed and now I have like a second kind of dream, but I still like feel sad that I never like, I didn't put as much effort into that other dream, you know?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, anyway. Anyway, let's talk about the dreams that you have when you sleep. Yep. Okay. But, so there are many different methods of dream interpretation, depending on which famous researcher you want to believe. Um, the first is Sigmund Freud, the man himself. <laughs> and he wrote a book called The Interpretation of Dreams. And in that book, he suggested that dreams are manifested unconscious wishes. And there are four <laughs> elements to his ideas about dreams. There are, And he thinks there are four elements in dreams, essentially. Also, rest in peace, Alex Trebek. What a loss. (laughs) Okay, the first element is condensation, which is not what you think it is. Um, And (laughs) that is when many ideas and concepts are represented in one dream and information is condensed into a single thought. So it's dreams that represent big, complex ideas and kind of, uh, like, minimize it and simplify it. Um, Dreams can also have displacement, which are elements in a dream where the emotional meaning is disguised by confusing um, information and insignificant parts of a dream. So, the dream muddles stuff so that you can't tell what the emotions surrounding it are. Mm. There's symbolization, which is where your subconscious censors repressed ideas and replaces them with symbolic objects. Um, So, in order to save you from confronting something that is scary to you and then there is secondary revision which occurs at the final stage of the dreaming process where bizarre elements are reorganized to make the dream comprehensible so we may have actually experienced a dream very out of order but in our memory of it it will be in order and that's called secondary revision
1: Mm. Freud's
0: mentee, Carl Jung, partially agreed with Freud, but he felt that dreams were more than repressed wishes. Jung suggested that dreams reveal the personal and collective unconscious. So he also thought that dreams compensate for parts of the psyche that are underdeveloped when you are awake. So he thought that dreams were more representative of the the person than of, like, active repression. Um, Jung, and his psychological studies, had suggested four archetypes that make up the human psyche, Um, and in dreams, we manifest the archetype that is underutilized in life, so you're dreaming about the one that needs more service. Um, And those archetypes are the persona, or how we present ourselves to the world, the shadow, which consists of our sex and life instincts, and the shadow also forms our attempts to adapt to cultural norms. The anima or animus, um, which represents the true self, and the anima and animus is always um, the opposite sex of yourself. So if you are a woman, your animus is a masculine energy. And if you are a male, your anima is a feminine energy. And there's nothing to do with your interactions with the opposite opposite sex. It's your relationship to the masculine or the feminine. Okay. So a good example of this that I read is that women will often dream about, um, like, how society perceives her and how society, because that is, like, a thing that is set by men, you know? Like, societal mm-hmm. expectations is a masculine-dominated area, whereas men will dream about, like, repressed feelings and emotions, which is a very feminine thing. So it's nothing mm-hmm. to do with actually dreaming about men or women. It has nothing to do with sexual orientation. It just has to do with like power structures um, that exist in society manifesting themselves in our psyche. Okay. Because we're always manifesting we're always we're always thinking of ourselves in opposition, is what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then there's the and there's the self which is unified unconsciousness and consciousness of an individual. So it's both it's it's all those things at once. So his idea was that these archetypes will appear in dreams um when they need to be serviced in your waking life and they will often appear in dreams as symbols. For example, the shadow is not just a person showing up and being like you need to adapt to cultural norms. It might be like a snake or something like that to show sex and temptation. Um and culture. So they appear and our brain translates them into symbols that feel safe so that we don't like freak out in a dream. You know, mm-hmm. Calvin S. Hall thought that dreams are part of a cognitive process that show us conceptions of elements in our lives. So not what they actually are, but how we conceive them his ultimate goal was actually not to understand dreams but he thought that he could use dreams to understand the dreamer that like dreams were the key to like codifying us as humans and he essentially turned dreams and their elements into a quantitative system um so he didn't actually care about like why we dream or what dreams mean he thought that he could use dream data to gather like statistics about people
1: that sounds like the start of a sci-fi show it does (laughs) where they end up like accidentally like inventing a machine that takes you into someone's mind or something
0: yeah Uh, G. William Domhoff, who is actually still alive today, but he's very old, (laughs) um, is a prominent dream researcher who studied with Calvin Hall. And Domhoff has found that dreams reflect the thoughts and concerns of waking life. And he suggested a neurocognitive model um, where dreaming creates a system of schemas in the brain. And this this is, I would say, the most widely accepted idea about what dreams are. Um, And these schemas in our brain then create dreams depending on what we've been thinking about. So for the most part, people believe that dreams are a manifestation of things that have been on our mind and on our conscious mind um, coming up because our brain essentially is like, let's make a dream. And they kind of pull open all these files and they shove all those files together and then you have a dream Mm. based off of what your thoughts are. So that's sort of the psychology about what dreams could mean.
1: Mm-hmm. But now that's
0: okay. now that that's out of the way. Um, let's discuss some common dream elements and their interpretations, which is kind of what you were talking about. So these are yeah. like sy- these are like symbols in dreams. Okay. Animals. Animals are very common in dreams, and they represent survival and nature. In a dream, if you are being chased by a predator, it can mean that you're holding back repressed primal emotions like fear or aggression. <gasps> So animal- I used to get
1: dreamed that I was being chased by stuff all the time. I had one dream that was recurring where I was being chased by Professor Lupin and his werewolf. Well, form. we're gonna talk
0: about we're gonna talk about what specifically being chased means, but animals okay. in general normally refer to okay. like instinct and stuff okay. like that. So if there's an animal, if there's an animal in your dream, like if there's a lion in your dream, that might mean that like you need to think about your instincts in relation to a certain danger or something like that. Mm, okay. Um, babies babies could literally mean that you want to have a child um but it could also signify new beginnings because birth vulnerability Mm -hmm. or desire for love and attention because babies like that's all they require is love and attention so it could reflect your own like need for that like you received as a child um being chased is one of the most common dream symbols it typically means that you are feeling threatened by something so it's actually important to reflect on who is chasing you um, and what that might symbolize. So, if you're getting chased by, like, an eagle, that might mean that you are feeling threatened by the American America. Government. Like, truly. Oh. <laughs> no, but, like, truly, that's what it could be. It's just, like, what your brain is filling in. Um, and if you are being chased by someone you don't know, you might want to think about who that symbolizes. Like, mm. in your real life. So, if you if you were dreaming about getting chased by Lupin, Lupin was <laughs> likely a filler for, like, a real person in your life or a real fear that you had. Like, I don't think you were afraid that werewolves were real, but, like, transformation, you know, or change. Mm, okay. Is one way you could interpret that. Clothing in dreams um, can symbolize different things depending on the clothing you're wearing. If the clothes are tattered or like in poor condition, it could mean that you're feeling unattractive or that emotionally you're, you're worn out or out of touch. Like if your clothes mm-hmm. are not you know, trendy, that might be your dream telling you that you feel out of touch with society or reality or something of the sort. Mm -hmm. Um, exams, I know one of my mom's reoccurring dreams is that she's, is that she's taking an exam and exams all actually reflect self-evaluation, not like external evaluation. And the content of the exam you're taking in the dream often reflects the part of your life that is under inspection and that you are like overthinking or being too hard on yourself about, which is interesting.
1: Okay. I've had one or two test dreams.
0: I, I think I've had test dreams. So, like, if you had a test dream when you were in college, you're not having a dream about that because you're stressed about the test. Maybe you're having a dream about it because you're afraid of your inability to, like, live up to standards. Mm-hmm. That's, like, the actual reason.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But it's very easily written off as, oh, well, I have a test, so I'm stressed about that. But it's, like, more mm-hmm. than that. Um, falling is also a very common phenomenon in dreams. I have a falling dream often, probably once a month. Um, and it relates to anxiety about letting go, losing control, or failing. Um, this normally occurs to dreamers who are facing major challenges in their life, like t- divorce, death, transition, um, like like big major events. Um, mm-hmm. A notable dream psychologist is Lori Loewenberg, and she calls falling a red flag for the subconscious to say, like, something's really wrong. Hmm. Yeah, faulty machinery in dreams is actually um, caused by your language center being shut down while you sleep, um, which means that like you can't dial a phone, read the time, or search the internet, um, hmm. and so these things happen because your brain is like, oh, I'm like, I'm not processing things correctly, um, and that like that means that your subconscious is like a little scared, um, but it could also represent performance anxiety in life. Food and dreams is said to symbolize knowledge because food nourishes the body and information nourishes the brain, so it represents information. It does not, it has nothing to do with your eating habits. Like, if you see food, it's, like, the dream interpreters don't interpret this as, like, you having food anxiety. Like, it's actually got nothing to do with food.
1: Um, which I mean, is- as someone who has anxiety around food, I've never had a dream about food. So. Right, so it, they, yeah. like food in your dreams manifests as something else. Demons
0: yep. in dreams um, are often represent repressed emotions. You're not having, unless you're having a sleep paralysis, that's different. But if you see oh. a food in your dream, it's not like a premonition or anything like that. It's not the devil trying to talk to you. It means that you're repressing your emotions. Hair is very tied to sexuality, according to Freud, of course. (laughs) theorized that having a lot of hair in a dream could symbolize virility, but cutting off hair shows a loss of libido, which hair loss in men is obviously a big anxiety inducer for them. So that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Hands um, are always present in dreams because most of your dreams are in the first first person. and, wa- and looking at your hands is considered a good way to become lucid in your dreams. Um, I've never <sighs> lucid dreamed, but that's, like, a tip that people give is, like, start by focusing on your hand and being aware of your hand, and that's a good way to become lucid. Um, in dreams, your hands being tied up could represent feelings of futility, um, and washing your hands in dreams may express guilt. Very similar to Lady Macbeth trying to wash the blood off her hands. Literal same idea.
1: Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. houses um have many dream symbols within them and the house as a whole normally represents your inner psyche so as you move from room or floor you're literally exploring your psyche and every room or floor could be different emotions memories or your interpretation of meaningful events so a house is um like access to your inner psyche so if you get a house in your dream it's like normally pretty important Killing in your dreams um, represents a desire to kill part of your personality. It's got nothing to do with you wanting to murder somebody, Um, but it has to do with, like, personal insatisfaction and a desire to, like, cut or kill out a part of your life. Um, It could also symbolize hostility towards a particular person. That Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you're a murderer. I've
1: never had a dream that I've killed other people. I've had dreams that people have died.
0: Yeah, I've never had a dream of killing a person yeah um marriage in a dream could definitely be related to the literal desire to wed or it could also be about the merging of the feminine masculine parts of your psyche so this goes back to the anima Ooh. animus um it could do with like you being in more in touch with your masculine feminine side um and so marriage appears to you in a dream but it's not always about like oh i'm lonely and i want to be married It's it's not always that Mm -hmm. missing a flight or like a bus or train or something like that is also very common i've definitely had those dreams um and this is symbolizes frustration over missing opportunities Um, Mm. these kinds of dreams are most common when you're struggling to make a big decision money and dreams um, are symbolic of self-worth if you dream of exchanging money um it could also represent um changes in your life and maybe like giving of yourself to others. People in your dreams are reflections of your own psyche and they may demonstrate specific aspects of your personality. So if you've ever noticed in dreams that people you know are in the dream but they're not acting like themselves, it's because your psyche is projecting them. So they're gonna act more like you because they're manifestations Mm. of you. Um, Radios and TVs, and I think like cell phones as well, symbolize communication channels between the conscious and unconscious mind. Um, a good, th- another good thing to do when you're lucid dreaming is to pick up, as to listen to the radio or to the television and see what news is broadcasting because that's often like live broadcasts of what your brain is thinking about, which ah. is like, truly wild. That's
1: insane.
0: Yeah, it's like really nuts. But you can, you can, like, they say when lucid, ask the radio and the television a question and it'll, like, <gasps> respond. Which is crazy. Schools. That um, makes
1: me feel like, I don't know, like I'm intruding on something, even with like my own it's subconscious.
0: Your, it's just your brain. It's just your brain. Schools are also common dream symbols, um, particularly in children and teenagers. Um, but if you dream about school and adulthood it could display a desire to know and understand yourself um and a desire to like go back to life lessons that you learned in school because you're not in touch with them anymore mm-hmm. being trapped is also a very common nightmare theme and it often reflects your real life inability to escape or make a right choice so it, it is directly related to your own feelings of entrapment There is a great debate over what teeth in dreams mean, particularly losing teeth. Psychologist Ian Wallace views teeth as a symbol of power and confidence. Um, So losing teeth is a symbol of a loss of power. Um, He says that dreams are um, a sign, yes, that that something happened to cause him or her to lose confidence. Russell Grant, a different dreamologist, um, said that teeth are a bad omen and they would represent a broken relationship, not necessarily romantic. Dr. Lawrence um, has a Freudian answer to this dream. She believes that the dream is an example of wish fulfillment, uh, particularly if they want to become pregnant. Uh, or if men have this dream, it is desire for sexual stimulation. I don't know what that has to do with losing teeth. Yeah, but that's her theory. Um, that same psychologist also interprets death in dreams as um, revealing wishes to terminate something in a life, which does make sense. That's, that's what the death card in um, tarot means. It doesn't mean, like, someone you know is going to die. It means that, like, the natural, the end of something, like a relationship, job, career path, um, even, even, it could even be holding on to the past. Like, you need to cut ties and let it die. Mm -hmm. um celebrities that appear in dreams are symbolic of a personal need for recognition
1: (laughs) i don't remember i can't i don't have an example right now but i've definitely had dreams where celebrities are just part of my life yeah, there's been at least one Zac Ephron dream.
0: <laughs> right. And he's not even
1: like my main celebrity crush, but he's just like living.
0: <laughs> and it's not even recognition from them. It's just like you feel under-recognized in your life, so you have this dream where someone who you care about and have a lot of power in the world recognizes you to make yourself feel better, make yourself feel mm-hmm, seen. Mm-hmm. And finally, mm-hmm. if you dream about your partner cheating, it does not mean that you're having a <laughs> premonition about your partner. It means that you are lacking attention from them um, and that you do not trust them. <sighs> so it means time <gasps> to check in and chat. And that is all about dream interpretations.
1: That's so interesting. I'm glad
0: you enjoyed it. Now tonight you're gonna have dreams and you're gonna overthink literally everything.
1: Yeah, I know. I wanna start trying to lose a dream. I've never been able to, but
0: I'm afraid of it. I don't want to do it.
1: Well, I never like I don't think I've ever been aware that I was dreaming and I've like tried to control it and failed. It's more so like in my brain it's reality and then i wake up and i realize oh right that's not reality which most of the time is like thank god
0: right right, right. like
1: i've told sarah this but i don't know if i've said this on the podcast one time i had a dream that sarah died and i was so sad (laughs) and then i woke up and got a text from sarah and literally looked at my phone and was like a sarah texted me (gasps) sarah's alive and like the joy i felt like
0: i was alive i had a dream like two nights ago that i went to work and something really traumatic happened and then i woke up and i was like that didn't happen right like that's not like we're fine yeah. um and I figured, <laughs> but it is scary when that happens and you're like hold on that wasn't real yeah i feel i always feel a little betrayed by my dreams for that reason
1: my most recent thing that i keep dreaming which i know the reason for it um is i i recently started sleeping with a mouth guard and oh. i keep having dreams that there's food in my mouth and for some reason i can't swallow it and i keep like tr- and i wake up because i'm literally actively trying to swallow my mouth guard but i can't because it's stuck around my teeth oh no like it's f- <laughs> and i'm like oh okay like stop that that's not food <laughs> So i guess i do have drinks about food but it's literally because my brain's confused because it's not used to having something in the in our in my mouth while i sleep
0: <laughs> right no that, is, that does sound crazy uncomfortable well thank you so much for listening you can find us on instagram twitter and facebook at YKWWW podcast. you can check out our website i've been if you like what you're hearing you consider leaving us a five-star review on itunes and finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to put it on the show. So, next week, Jane and I are going to... I don't know why I said it like you were friends. Jane and I...
1: <laughs> Jane.
0: <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. That was so weird. Um, Jane and I are going <laughs> to do something a little different. And that is... We are going to talk about the First Nations peoples that lived on the land that we live on now when that dastardly man, Christopher Columbus, arrived.
1: Or whomever. Ah, you know. Shakespeare.
0: Shakespeare. Or Amerigo Vespucci, you know, whoever, whoever it was that disrupted their land and then forced them out in a truly truly terrible way um so we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna talk about them so like for me i know i live on yeah. lenape land um but i know there are sub-tribes or if that's the what you call them like like there's lenape as a whole then there's different sects, which i talked about a little bit when i talked about mount rushmore the different like we talked about different sioux nations so that's what we're going to talk about, since it's almost Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving mm-hmm. is supposed to be about the supposed harmony between the Puritans and the Indigenous people at Plymouth Rock. But did that happen? Probably not. hmm So.
1: I believe, this is a quick Google search, but th- it confirms what I thought is that the Al- Algonquin-speaking tribes are, what are the tribes that were here in. The area of Maine that I'm in. But there were many. There wasn't just one.
0: Okay, yeah, I'm the, I, I, th- where I live now was once Muncie-Lenape land.
1: Okay. And but, also you know, Pinarcy. I'm glad to learn more about them. I learned a little bit about them this summer when I took a history of Maine class, but not a lot. I mainly learned about, like, our interactions when we first got here, and then it was like, it, then my history book did not go into too much detail about where they went after we, you know, messed up their lives. It's true, and like I'd like to know what happened
0: to them. I was this. This honestly was um, sparked because I was in an information session for um, a program at Columbia, and one of the staff, um, when he was talking about the, the particular part of the program he oversees, said like, "I want to acknowledge that like Columbia exists in Lenape land," which like I always appreciate when people do. But there are some moments where I find it really performative. Um, oh yeah. And luckily this was very like natural, but it's like, and it ended up being like, some people were like, I'm very appreciative of that. Like my, I'm, I am a descendant of the Lenape, which is cool. Um, so I was like, oh, I appreciate you doing that. Um, but it came at just like such a random point. Like we had talked about um, Columbia's response to Black Lives Matter and all of that um and so then it was just such a random point that i was really thrown off guard by it and i was like oh <laughs> um, okay um, cool thank you for acknowledging that i guess uh, random mm-hmm. professor um but it did get me thinking about it and now i'm and now i'm more curious to to learn about who they were and what they valued before yeah before we stole their land mm mm-hmm. Alright, so that's what's coming at you next week. Thank you so much for listening. This is You Know What I've Been Wondering.